Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. By the path he leadeth, but one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches. I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm And I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, and hope within me dies, I draw the closer to from care he sets me free, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, for his eye is on the and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let's take our Bible today. Turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. We were just there last week, but we're going to take the message this morning out of Matthew chapter 8 again. So let's take a look at that. Uh, we're not going, we're going to, uh, the message will be a little shorter today. Obviously, I was planning on that, so don't get too nervous. We'll get out of here pretty much on time, I think. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. Let's begin there. We'll read just a verse or a couple of verses there, and then we'll move along in our message. Chapter 8, verse 14. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless this time, meet our needs today. Lord, there's not a, a person in the room that has the exact same need. Oh, they may be similar, but Lord, we are all unique. We're all individuals, and we need you to specifically touch us today. Now, Father, thank you for what has already transpired. Thank you for just taking some time today and allowing us the opportunity to recognize our ladies. But Lord, now, as we get into the word of God, may our focus be on you and your word, and may you, Father, speak to us. May you bring conviction and change to our hearts as needed. We'll thank you. We'll praise you as you work in our lives. Fill me now with your spirit. May you be glorified. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus goes about performing a series of unprecedented miracles that testify to his deity and also establish unquestioned proof that he is indeed the Messiah, that he is indeed the one that Israel sought. We see in the book of Matthew chapter 8 that Jesus heals a leper. We note that he exhibited power over despair, for that leper had no hope except for Jesus healing him. We see that Jesus heals the centurion servant, of which we spoke about last week. He has power over distance, we said. We now note that he's going to heal Peter's mother-in-law. He has power over disease. He ultimately, he, he also calms the storm. We see that he has power over disaster or over nature, and he casts out demons as he closes out chapter 8, which of course, power over demons. These miracles testify to his deity. These miracles testify to his messiahship. Anybody in the nation of Israel that's watching and observing Jesus Christ can't help but say there's something unusual about this man. There's something unique and different about Jesus. Not only does he speak with authority, but he acts in power. I want you, if you would, for just a moment to take your Bible and turn over to the book of Mark, please, chapter 1. Again, in our passage, we're going to note, and we have already, that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And that is an amazing miracle. Do you know that there is no greater disease than sin, though? In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible tells us, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The truth is, is ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam disobeyed God, sin was inherently found in all humanity. From that moment on, sin was passed down from that generation to the next generation and so on and so forth, even to this day. And can I tell you, there is not one disease that is any more damning than sin. Notice now in Mark chapter 1, we're going to see another account of this same miracle. We know that there are four gospel writers we're going to note that in three of the Gospels, this particular account is given. We've already read the one in Matthew. Now let's read the one in Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 31. The Bible simply says this. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Take your Bible now look over at the book of Luke, chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, verse 38. 
So we have the account in Matthew chapter 8. We have it in Mark chapter 1. And now in Luke chapter 4, verse 38 and 39, we read, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now, I think it's very important at this point, after reading all three accounts, and recognizing, I'm sure, even your, your, your ability to read, you say, wait a second, there are slight differences in what's being recorded here. It seems as though in one case he speaks, in the other case he touches her hand, in the other case he raises her up, and, it, and, 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 and the fever left in, in this case here, and the fever leaves here, in this case. And it just seems to me, pastors, I read those three accounts, that they're somewhat different, slightly different. And I would say to you, absolutely, you are correct. Without a doubt, you are spot on. But that... that, that these are not contradictions, however. Think about the story of the maniac of Gadara, would you? Now, in most cases, we, we think about that as a maniac of Gadara. And by the way, the maniac of Gadara is found three times also in the Gospels, three different occasions. In two of the occasions, it's only one maniac. But the other account in the book of Matthew, chapter 8 again, mind you, shows us two so the Bible says when he arrives at the shore, there are two men. The other two accounts say there's one man. Can I say that just because Matthew uh, adds the one extra man and the other two omit that man does not make it any less true? You say, well, wait a second. What are you talking about? All three of those men saw it from a different vantage point. All three of them in focus on something uniquely different. And the point is, is that just like when I'm going to eat a pie, I may cut it into four slices, but i got to eat all four if I want to eat the whole thing. And if you want to get the whole picture, you got to get all the parts and pieces, and you put them together, and there you have the whole expressed, explained, and given. In this particular case, we take all three accounts, and here's what we come up with when it comes to Peter's Peter raising up Excuse me, when it comes to Jesus raising up Peter's mother-in-law. By the way, it should give all mother-in-laws great comfort to know that a son-in-law would actually ask for healing. <laughs> I would, without a doubt. You know it's true. <clears throat> so here's what we come up with. First of all, Jesus stood over her and took her by the hand rebuked the fever, and immediately it left her. Now, you say, but that, that doesn't seem to jive with that account. Wait, wait, you're taking all three and putting them together now. Jesus stood over her and took her by the hand and rebuked the fever, and immediately it left her. He lifted her up, and she arose and ministered unto them. Now, all the phrases, of all the phrases used in this passage... In all the passages even. There's only one phrase that's mentioned verbatim now in all three accounts. Only one. And here it is. Ministered unto them. That's the phrase that's in all three exactly like that. There's one that's close, but the one account's not quite the same. But in this case, it uses the same phrase, 
that she ministered unto them all three cases. So Peter's mother-in-law is raised up a new woman. I mean, she's a new woman. Take your Bible, look at Romans chapter 6. Again, we're laying some groundwork, and then we'll just get into the message, and it'll be spot on, fast, hard-hitting. Here it is, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Notice this now. She is raised up. The Bible makes it clear to point out the fact that he lifted her up. She's on her back with disease. She's on her back hurting. She's on her back sick as a dog, and Jesus Christ raises her up, and she's healed. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. The Bible says, and it's an interesting parallel here, because remember, there's no greater disease than sin. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Key phrases, we are buried with him. We are buried with him. Oh, I wasn't there that day at Calvary, but I was. I was buried with him. I died that day like Christ died. He died for me and I died with him, so to speak. And I was buried, the Bible says here. Why? Buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life, he says. The picture is simply this. The moment I received and accepted Christ, I died with Jesus Christ. I was buried and I rose again, what? To walk in newness of life. You say, well, what does that mean? That means I am not the same person I was. That means I am totally and completely different. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You say, well, what are you saying? I'm saying this. There is hope for the most vile, wretched sinner in Jesus Christ. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done, my friend. Jesus Christ can make you a new man, a new woman. Only Jesus can do that, by the way. There's no program or or five-step issue. You just have to simply do one thing, and that's call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says the old man is going to die, and you're going to rise up a new man. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You're a new creation in Christ, a new man, a new woman. He said, but you don't know what I used to be. I don't care what you used to be. What matters is who and what you are today. That's all Jesus cares about. That's all behind you now. That's all under the blood. And that gives hope to the most vile sinner. We think of Paul the Apostle. You say, you don't know what I've done. Well, we do know what he did. We think about the Apostle Paul who goes about all Christianity, throwing them in prison and ultimately taking them to their very deaths, separating moms from dads and dads from moms and parents from children. How wicked and how sinful and how evil was this man who thought his Judaism was enough, but before it's over with, he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and my friend, his life changes forever. 
And may I say, he wasn't the same man he was before he took that journey. Because after that journey, after seeing Jesus Christ, he was a new man. And may I say today that you're a new person in Jesus Christ. And so am I if you've received and accepted him. Peter's mother-in-law is raised up a new woman. And according to the first thing the scripture said that she does, she ministers unto them. The very first thing she does after being raised up, she ministers unto them. I wonder, you ever think about what moved her to do so? Oh, I'm sure there's a number of factors that we could point to. However, I got to believe that this reason would stand out. Gratitude. Gratitude moved her to minister. You say, well, it was her love for Jesus after he healed her. We love him because he what? First loved us. How does he express his love? By dying for us on Calvary, by giving his all to us. And we look at what he's done on our behalf and we say, oh God, I'd have never made it without you. I love you and I thank you so much. At least we should. Gratitude moved her to minister. Peter's mother-in-law is sick with fever. I don't know how sick that made her in that day. It sounds pretty grave to me. And again, someone says, well, it's just a little fever. Well, I'm not convinced it was just a little fever. I'm trying to figure out why they would have rushed over with all the people waiting to be healed because we see that many, many others were waiting in line, so to speak. There were all kinds that would be healed after that. But the fact is, is we had people that were lame and people that couldn't talk. And we saw people that, that, that had all kinds of diseases that could not be healed by doctors. And yet she has a little fever? I don't think so. I got to believe that fever was so drastic, so bad, that they were even concerned possibly for her very life. You got to remember, if you would, that, that there was no Advil in that day. There was no local emergency room. Again, I believe that she was sick, yes, but I believe possibly sick unto death. And Jesus comes along and they say, oh, Jesus, you got to heal her. You got to take care of her. I don't want to lose my mother. And Peter said, mother-in-law. You realize that when she raised up, she had no dehydration? She raised up, she had no headache. She raised up, she had no weariness. She came up out of that bed of affliction, and she had no aches or pains at that point. You say, how do you know that? Well, because if she wasn't completely and totally better, I got a hard time believing she would have said, let me minister unto you. i got to believe that after Jesus Christ took her hand and raised her up and that fever left her, I think she said, Woo, I feel good. And boy, she said, I'm going to minister unto them. I want to minister. She's sitting there gazing into Jesus' eyes and she can't believe what just happened. I feel like a million bucks and you're the man that did it all. Oh, what am I thinking? Could I get you something to drink? Could I get you something to eat? 
Oh, I'm sorry for being so selfish and just thinking about me. I've got to understand. There's needs that need met here before me. I'm feeling fine now, and there's work to be done. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. Can I serve you now? Can I serve the others? I wonder if you've been raised up. Have you been saved? You've been delivered from your sin, escaping the eternal punishment of the lake of fire? How thankful are you to escape such a horrible fate? And how grateful are you to Jesus Christ today? Are you thankful and grateful enough to be moved to minister? The Apostle Paul, while writing to Timothy, He's sharing the condition of the heart of mankind as we approach the last days. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, please. Again, he's, he's drawing a picture for us. He's painting a picture, if you will, of the last days and the attitude of mankind and the, the spirit of man in those last days. And notice what pops up in the list. And I'm only going to read the verse that includes that, but it goes on in the next verse. But notice he says to Timothy, he says, for men... 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. And the next one, unholy. I don't know about you, but I, I find it interesting that that word unthankful precedes unholy. I don't know why, I just, un, you know what, when I read it in my notes, it's bolded. Now it's just my notes. But anyway, I just thought I'd let you know how important that is to me. I wonder when you read that list, how important is that word to you? How valuable and how important and how significant is that word unthankful, that in the last days there'll be a generation that raises up that will be unthankful unthankful huh you say well what's the big deal the big deal is according to the bible we're to be thankful in all things in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. How much more thankful should we be to Jesus Christ for sacrificing all, all for us on Calvary? If we're to be thankful for all things, how much more thankful should we be that he hung on Calvary, that he shed his precious perfect blood, that he was buried and rose again the third day to forgive us and save us of our sin? How much more thankful? A passage that stands out in my mind that reinforces the need to express our gratitude with action is found over in the book of James. Turn, if you would, please, to James chapter 2, verse 18. James chapter 2, verse 18. It just kind of reinforces it. Someone will say, well, he doesn't use the word thankfulness. I know, but let's just, for a moment, help me just to... Uh, Humor me for a minute as we look at it. I believe the principle is the same. We'll see that it truly does kind of go along with what we're discussing today. Notice James chapter 2, verse 18. He says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. 
Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Hmm. Now, if you drop down to verse 20, he makes this point. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. You say, why are you sharing that? Because I believe gratitude is the exact same way. You say, in what way? First of all, I believe, you know, the bottom line is this. There is little done when gratitude is missing. You say, I'm grateful, I just don't show it. Well, you know what? You talk about it, but I'll show it. Do you know God's all about you doing something about it, not just simply claiming it? Well, I'm a Christian. Then start living and acting like one. That's what God's Word says. You're a new creature. Start living and acting like one. Well, I'm grateful. Well, young man, young lady, start living and acting like it. Well, my parents, though, they're just meanie-meanies. I don't care what they are. You be grateful for what God's given you, and you be grateful that you have what you have. But, my friend, it's easy to point at a teenager and say, boy, they need to be grateful. They're so, they're so ungrateful. They're so unthankful. What about us? We say, the Lord Jesus Christ has saved my soul from hell. He's delivered me from the abyss. He's given me hope, and he's given me life eternal. He indwells me and lives within me, and he gives me power to overcome sin in my life and to be victorious. In my Christian life. Oh, I'm so thankful. So? Question. How thankful? How grateful? Are, are you grateful enough to be moved to minister? Like Peter's mother-in-law was? Gratitude moved her to minister. It's amazing to think about that. It's amazing. It moved her to minister. There is no way that you and I could ever repay the Lord for all he's done. It's amazing. You know, we live in a dispensation of grace, we call it. You know what grace really says? I don't have to do nothing other than trust Christ to be saved. And you know what? Too many Christians live like that. That's pretty sad. It, it'd be, it's, it's worse than even a, a child that's being given food and clothing and shelter to not respect and appreciate and be grateful for what their parents have provided them. It's a lot worse than that. Again, there's no way we could repay the Lord. That's for sure. None of us could. Be said, so why try? Oh, pff, why not try? Why not give it our best shot to say thank you? Why not give our very best to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you know what? After everything you've given me, which is all, I'm going to give you everything I know to give back. I think it's worth trying. Just do our best trying. One year when Christmas fell on a Sunday, a particular farmer, he decided to go to church. He wasn't really a churchgoer. But for Christmas and Easter, he normally made his way to the house of God. The sermon that day was preached from a text in the book of Isaiah where it says, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Isaiah was saying basically that Israel or mankind in general isn't as smart as an ox. 
You know, we say the phrase, he's dumber than an ox. At least we used to say stuff like that when I was a kid, when you were allowed to say things. You know where they stole that? From the Bible. They plagiarized it right out of Scripture. Isaiah says, listen, you know what, Israel? You're dumber than the ox that you actually have in your stalls. And here's how it played out in his life. After church, the farmer returned home, and he ended up in the barn around the cows that day. One of them began kind of moseyed on up to him and started licking his hand. And it reminded him of that sermon he had just heard. He was a strong man, a tough guy. But he began to weep and the tears began to flow. And he thought to himself, God has done so much for me. And yet I never thanked him. My cow's more grateful than I am. What do I ever give to my cow other than some grass and water? Yet God's given me everything. How thankful and grateful are you this morning? How grateful and thankful am I? Are you thankful and grateful enough to rise up and minister? We close now, but has the Lord raised you up? Have you been born again? Have you been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you remember a time and a place when you humbled yourself before the creator God of the universe and recognized his ultimate supreme power over all and said, oh God, I can't measure up to your goodness. I can't measure up to your, your perfection. I'll never be able to add up. I can't do enough. I can't earn your love or your favor. I just simply have to trust and depend on you. And you called out to him and said, Lord Jesus, forgive me and save me. Oh God, I can't do it alone. I need you to do it for me. You trusted and received him. And he took you by the hand that day and said, you died to who and what you were. And now I raise you to walk in newness of life. You're a new creature in Christ today. You're not that old man or woman you used to be. You're a new man, a new woman. If that's never happened in your life, if he's never received and accepted you and you've never called and cried out to him, I want you to know he'll gladly do so if you'll cry out to him and humble yourself before him and acknowledge your sin before the holiest and only holy God of the universe. And he'll receive you unto himself just like he received me and others in this room. And you can leave here a new man, a new woman, not carrying around the baggage of your sin anymore, the guilt or shame of it, Walk away, a new man, a new woman. But since that day, and even to this moment, are you grateful enough to be moved to minister? I'll go to church, preacher. Are you grateful enough to be moved to minister? I'll try, to, I'll try to do devotions at home. But are you moved to minister? Grateful enough to move to minister, to be moved to minister. We're kidding ourselves, okay? Don't tell me you love your wife, but then you just go right on out and drink it all up every week. 
and don't bring any food home for the family. Yeah. Don't take care of her needs. Don't protect her. Don't watch over her. You leave her to fend for herself. Oh, I love her so much. Everybody in the room would be like, that's some kind of stupid love if you ask me. That ain't the kind of love that I'm aware of. I thought last time I checked in the Bible, love was an action. Not just an emotion, nor was it just a word. It's an action. And can I tell you, gratitude is reflected in action. How grateful are you and I today? Peter's mother-in-law, he reached down. That day she was sick as a dog. That fever was taking her, possibly even causing her to be on the verge of death. He raises her up. The fever immediately leaves her. He rebukes that fever. Get out of here. Be gone. Gone. She's coming up there. She's saying, Woo! I'm a new woman. Jesus. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus. I, I just kind of got caught up in everything that was going on. I just haven't felt this good, and I, can't, I don't even know if I've ever felt this good. Can, can I get you something to drink, Jesus? Can I do something for you? I'm just so happy today. I'm so excited. I, I lost my mind for a minute, but uh, what, what do you need? Anything, please? Is that how grateful and thankful we are to him today? It ought to be. May God help us to be so grateful that we are moved to minister. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us. Father, we need you today. Help us to minister, Father, to you and to your people and to the world. Lord, we have ministries across the board in our church. We talked about it in our, our class today for the new members class. And Lord, there's so many things that need done. Lord, help us to be moved to minister. Help us to be so grateful that we recognize the need to give back to you what you've so willingly given to us, and that's your life. God bless us today. Meet our needs and help us, Lord, to recognize that you've already taken steps to do so, and as a result, we ought to be seeking to meet the needs of others. Oh, God, help us to be moved to minister. And Lord, if there be those that are without Christ today in this crowd we pray, dear God, that they would receive and accept you today, that they would recognize the need to come forward even during the invitation, that they would step out of the seat and into the aisle and down that aisle to Brother Kavanaugh, who's positioned right up front, and let him know, I need, I need to trust Christ. I need him in my life. I've got to deal with my soul and my sin, and I want to be a, a child of God, and I want to go to heaven one day. I don't want to bear the burden, the shame, the guilt of my sin any longer. I want to be that new person that is raised to walk in newness of life. Father, may you just work in hearts and lives today. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed today.